Tonight we are in the book of Psalms, Psalm 141. Um, Before we get there, Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God makes all things beautiful in the right time. And he has also set within the hearts of all people eternity. There is a longing for something more. Sometimes we feel disillusioned. Sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we ask ourselves, is this all there is? Well, it's not. Part of the reason there's this deep dissatisfaction is this is not home. This is not all there is. There awaits for us eternity. And as I mentioned this morning, when we reach eternity and we're in heaven with Jesus No longer will there be the presence of sin and no longer will there be the battle there is here. But for now, the question is, what do we do in the meantime as the battle goes on? And tonight we're going to look at Psalm 141, a psalm of David, which I believe gives us some great insight into areas of our life that need to be under his submission and under his care until we wait till that time where we are with him for all time. So turn with me to Psalm 141. If you find that, I encourage you to stand in God's honor as I read aloud. O Lord, I call to you, come quickly to me. Hear my prayer when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil, to take part in wicked deeds with men who are evildoers. Let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. Yet my prayer is ever against the deeds of evildoers. Their rulers will be thrown down from the cliffs, and the wicked will learn that my words were well spoken. They will say, as one plows and breaks up the earth, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of the grave. But my eyes are fixed on you, O sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me, from the traps set by evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass in safety. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can be back tonight to worship you. Thank you for your word and the hope it provides. I just simply ask that you open our hearts and eyes as we look at your truth from this ancient song, Lord, of David. And may it be an ancient song that rings true to us as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I think we're turning out... Had to work in one of my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis. I've been reading this year a, a daily devotional that comes from his writings. And uh, my favorite quote on heaven is from C.S. Lewis. And if any of you have read his Narnia children's books, he comes to the end of that series of books. And, you know, the story's about to end. But C.S. Lewis wove in the book that the story never really does end. Listen to his words. Uh, This is from the last battle. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, 
But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this the end of all stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Isn't that great? This life as we know, it's like a cover and title page. But chapter 1 actually starts in all of eternity. This is life, but one day we will be fully alive. And and that's the hope. But this psalm, as I started looking at it, it made me think of a term, made me think, well, what about the meantime? Um, what are we supposed to do? And I'm going to look at some points here if, if you look in your outline. And, and the first one here in the first couple of verses is fervent prayer. We need to continue to talk and listen to God. Prayer is two-way communication. It's not one way. We don't just simply talk to God. God, here's my list. Let me give it to you and just, you know, God, here it is. Here's what I want. But it involves listening. It involves talking. It is a relationship with communication. And, and it needs it needs to have depth. God, I want to know you more. You know, like Paul said in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. And so somehow to attain from the resurrection. The dead. Yeah, I want to know you God. And, and fortunately I love in 1 Timothy 2.5. We're told there's one mediator between God and man. The Lord Jesus Christ. We are not responsible for making sure we are good enough for our prayers. To make it all the way up to heaven. Jesus is the go-between. Between us weak people and a holy, awesome God. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the one who makes sure those prayers reach the master. And, and, and that's the beauty of it as we pray and as we come to him. Um, just read the first couple of verses here. Oh Lord, I call to you. Come quickly to me. Hear my voice when I call to you. He stopped there. He, he starts out and he, he says... Uh, Lord, I call to you. And it's just so awesome that he invites us to do that. I thought of uh, Jeremiah 33. Maybe, you know, someone had said that that's God's phone number. Jeremiah 33. I don't know if you ever heard that. But it says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Jeremiah 33. And if you look at the case there, Jeremiah, God's prophet, he is actually um, in chains. He... He is imprisoned, and God comes and speaks to him. I'm sure he's somewhat discouraged. You know, Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because so often, you know, he was just depressed and he was down. And God speaks to him, and, and uh, he says uh, in verse 2 of Jeremiah 33, this is what the Lord says, who made the earth. So he's reminding Jeremiah, nothing's too big for me, Jeremiah. I made the earth. And then he says, and formed it and established it. Not only did I make the earth, I formed it and established it, and, and he sustains it. And we can trust a God that's that big. Much bigger than our problems, and much bigger than our worries, and, and much bigger than our burdens. And, and that's what he's reminding Jeremiah of. And then he says to him, hey, 
Call to me, Jeremiah. Uh, you know, speak and, and let me speak to you. Call to me. And he says, and I will answer you. And what? And I will show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Now, you know, God doesn't have to do that. It's not like we twist God's arm and he has to show us exactly what we want him to show us. He's not like a genie where you rub the Bible and then God answers. You know, it's not some kind of crazy thing like that. But the very fact that he came to Jeremiah and say, I want to show you that I love you and I want to show you what you need to know. says to me that he didn't just do that for Jeremiah. He wants to communicate with us. He wants to have that kind of relationship with us as well. Um, That's God's heart. Notice here in verse 2, he says, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. You know, it was interesting. uh, Part of the sacrifices in the Old Testament involved incense. The idea of a holy fragrance going up to heaven and and being considered something um, of, of beauty to God. But you know, you don't, I guess, to be honest with you, as I think about sacrifice, I think about worship, I don't really think about smell. And yet for God, in, in this part of prayer, he says our prayers are like a fragrant offering to him. And it was interesting, I did a search through the scriptures, and in Genesis chapter 8, uh, if you guys want to turn there, he, uh, you know, this is after the flood, and, and uh, Noah is ready to uh, provide worship uh, to God, um, thankful uh, for God sparing him and, and ready to start over. It's interesting here, uh, in verse 20 it says of Genesis 8, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy living creatures as I've done. He says, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. So I just thought that was beautiful. I'd never noticed that before. It said this this offering, God smelled. <laughs> so Anyway, next one here, that, that first one deals with fervent prayer. The second one, uh, deals with a guarded tongue. Notice verse 3. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. It's easy to say things without considering the effects. I don't know where I heard the quote, but somewhere along the line I heard this quote that said, Be careful that you don't put your brain in neutral and your mouth in gear. It is easy to do that. And I think that we've all had those occasions and we've had those regrets. And we say, why did I do that? But you know, something lately that Cindy and I have talked about lately that's really bothered me, guys. This is one of those, you know, confessional times that's good for me, you know. We don't just do that with a spoken word. In this society that we live in, we're Facebook crazy. And we're texting crazy. And Cindy and I have noticed um, sometimes on Facebook and, and some of these other social media how mean I've seen Christians be to one another. It's broken my heart. I've seen some issues that 
you know, it's okay to disagree. I had a teacher that once said, it's okay to bump heads, just don't bump hearts. But I see some people online. I'm not saying there's not stuff you don't disagree with. There's convictions you got to have. But you don't have to be so mean and ugly. And I'm not talking about against those who, you know, clearly stand up um, against things that are against God. I'm talking about God's people being ugly to one another. I'm not about I'll see a, th- a quote on Facebook and I'll see a comment. And then somebody comes back. Man, we need to guard against that. That hurts people. It doesn't help. I, I think of, uh, you know, the, we all have these verses that we quoted to our kids. I think the verse scene I quoted more than any other verse when the kids were small. And I don't know why we got away from it because I still need it. Ephesians 4.29. And it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. You know, what a great question to ask. If I say this, is it going to benefit you? And if the answer is no... Don't say it. Don't let it come out of your mouth. Um, so we're to guard our hearts. Uh, another verse along with that, uh, Proverbs ten nineteen. This is one I seem to find myself quoting a lot too. It says, when words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. There you go. When, that mouth goes in neut- uh, when the brain's in neutral and the mouth in gear, words are many, sin's not absent. You know, it can certainly occur and it can certainly... Uh, happens um, you know along with this uh, when you disagree with somebody and have criticism I don't remember where I first heard this this is nothing new you guys have heard it I'm sure but I've tried to follow this practice throughout my, my life as a believer praise people publicly criticize and rebuke them privately I mean, we all need to be built up. And if you see a good trade in somebody, shout it from the rooftop, you know. Put it on Facebook, you know, or whatever. Let people know. But if it's something um, that's critical, don't put it in a public forum, whether you're speaking it or you're writing it. Find, you know, pray about it, first of all. Pray about it. Go to God about it and say, God, I'm really concerned about this person and I'm concerned about where they are and I need to talk to you about this. God, I, you need to either change them or maybe you need to change me, but this is not going well. <laughs> talk to God about it. And then secondly, if you still don't have a peace about it, go to that person privately after you've prayed and, you know, just talk to them about it. I found that after you pray... You know, God begins to give us a love for people. So we don't really come across so mean after we've actually been in prayer. I think that a natural concern comes um, and and that is shared. Galatians 6 uh, verse 1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. So the key there, even when you're privately, is is you don't come in there with guns ablazing. You come in there gently. That's the, what the scripture says to us. All right, uh, let's look at the next one here. Uh, verse 4, a heart drawn to the Lord. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil, to take part in wicked deeds with men who are evildoers. Let me not eat of their delicacies. I thought of Proverbs twenty three seventeen as well, which says, 
do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. We don't need to envy um, sin and sinners. We need to try to grow close to God. And as he speaks here, I think it gives, you know, a simple truth of the fact is that, you know, there is, um, we need God's strength to overcome sin's tug. There is, there is a tug to draw us towards sin. I mean, it's attractive or else we wouldn't be drawn to it. There's a part of us that says, you know, I just want to try just a taste. Of course, you know, the problem with just a taste is if it's poison, it's, you know, going to hurt. Um, but but there's that drawing, and he actually prays, and he says, God, um, help me. <laughs> you know, don't let me be drawn to that. Father, rescue me. We have this idea sometimes, sin is portrayed on TV and through the media and everywhere else like a romantic notion. You know, oh, I just got to have this. Oh, you know, you know, I won't get into all that, but if you watch TV and movies at all, you can see what I'm talking about. Um, no one ever thinks when they take that first drink, you know, that they'll ever become alcoholic. And, and I mean, I could go on with other examples, but, you know, sin just takes us down that road with that romanticism. And so the psalmist says, God, as I walk with you, don't let me be drawn to sin, Lord. Don't don't let me move that direction. God, protect me from that. Um, rebuke is seen as a friend instead of an enemy. Look at verse five. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. The picture here is something that looks like um, it's, you know, it's, it, it's painful and, and it's an offense and it is a strike. Is actually not. It is something to wake us up. To keep us from going down a road that's dangerous. Um, Proverbs 27 verse 5 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. You know, I think back to a couple of people. This has happened to me a couple of times in my life. I don't think I'm not alone, but... Um, you know, I've had somebody just rebuke me and say something that hurt my feelings and just made me mad. And I mean, my first thought when they did it was, you are a jerk. I would like to hurt you. I'd like to inflict some pain. But the interesting thing about it was, after I had some time to think about what they had to say to me and what I was doing, I grew to have this respect for them. And some of the people I look back to that, you know, I have, I have really have a good memory of, are people who at first said something not so nice to me, but they were right. And they had the courage to say that to me. And you know what? That's not a sign of hate. That's a sign of love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Because it is a sign of saying, you know, I don't want you to go down that dangerous road. I, you know, I want to help you. And the idea of oil on the head, that in ancient times, that was a picture of medicine. You know, we need, a, it's a type of medicine. Give me a medicine, get me out of this sin sickness. And that's how rebuke can be. You know, apply the balm of Gilead where needed. And then verse 6 and 7. The heart that seeks sin instead of the Savior is a dead end. It's a dead end. Notice what it says there. Um, their rulers will be thrown down from the cliffs. 
The wicked will learn my words were well spoken. They'll say as one plows and breaks the earth, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of the grave. Um, tragic consequences thrown down from a cliff. You know, maybe you don't know people that have been thrown down from a cliff. But the picture is that there's tragic consequences that are associated when you follow that sin pattern. I've told the story, um, but I thought about it today as I thought about illustrating this. When I was growing up, uh, one of my close friends was a guy named Scott Reed. And uh, Scott, you know, he started getting involved in drugs and started going down the wrong road and and, you know, back before I was a Christian, you know, I, I got a little involved in that. But then I came to Christ and got away from that. Well, Scott kept going down that way. And I remember seeing I were talking. One day he showed up. This is after we married years later. Come up in a nice car. Well, where did he get that? You know, probably dealing some drugs. But they were having a party at his house when he was in his... I, I lose track of times. So I think it was in his late 30s. But this girl was at the party... And she shot him up with something, heroin or something, and left him for dead and robbed him. He didn't die, but he ended up in a care facility because his brain was fried from this overdose of drugs. And so the last, I don't know, the last few years of his life, it was just pitiful. He was just a shell of the person he was laying in this bed. And, you know, it didn't start out there. I remember at one point, I did have an opportunity as a Christian to try to talk to him. And I tried to talk to him about the Lord. Because he said, man, let's go do this, you know. Wanting to go do some kind of drugs. And I said, no, I don't want to do that, man. And so we got to talking. He got really angry at me. And it was the last time I talked to him. And that's so sad. I'm not mad at Scott. I'm going to cry over it. You know, when we don't take rebuke, uh, as the Bible says here, um, it's like going off a cliff. It, you know, it's like the words of rebuke come true, as it says here in, in uh, Psalm 141. The wicked learn the words were well spoken. Bones scattered on the mouth of the grave. And, and you know, we're headed that way anyway. Um, we need a Savior to take us from it. Uh, I always think of how many times have we all wanted to, you know, quote from John 10.10. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life more abundantly or have life to the full. Now think about, you know, what's the devil's objective? Three things. He wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you, and he wants to destroy everything. That is of God and that's good in you. Jesus, on the other hand, he wants you to really live. He doesn't want you to exist. He wants you to live. That is a, that's his objective. Um, all right, eyes fixed on the Lord's next one. Uh, three words here. Uh, first, read, uh, read verse 8 here. The first word is security. But my eyes are fixed on you, O sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Um, he says, oh, Lord, I just want to look to you, God. I want you to be my refuge. I want you to be my place that's secure. 
And the first thing that came to me in Numbers 35, it, it talks about that there were certain cities that were designated to be cities of refuge. And how this worked um, in the Old Testament in Jewish times was that if someone uh, was involved in a murder and they murdered someone accidentally, there were people out to kill them. You know, there were family members that wanted revenge. And so that these people could have a proper trial and, and so that they could have a place to be safe until that trial occurred, they would go to this city of refuge. And isn't it good to know that We don't even need the trial. We're guilty. But God says, I will be your refuge. It's never been about me being good. And it's never been about you being good. It's about the fact that we have a God who is good. I love Deuteronomy 33, 27, you know. And I never learned it in the King James where it talks about the everlasting arms, you know, being underneath everlasting arms. The version I learned it in, it said, um, the Lord is an eternal hiding place. He carries us in his arms. Isn't that cool? We have a papa who is a heavenly papa who carries us in his arms. He's a refuge. All right, a second word here. Um, oh, let me read these verses. Second Samuel 22, 31, 32. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord and who is the rock except our God? Here's another one, Psalm 34, 22. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Isn't that good? No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Secure. Uh, Okay, the next word here in verse 9 is snares. He begs God to keep him safe from the snares of evildoers. Look at verse 9 here. Um, Keep me from the snares they have laid for me, from the traps set by evildoers. Do you ask God to protect you from evil? You know, as I thought about this, I thought about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Many of you could probably quote the Lord's Prayer. You know, this is funny. You'll probably laugh at this um, because Scripture memory has always been something I've enjoyed. But for some reason, and I still probably don't know it real well, I never learned the Lord's Prayer. Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer, but Todd. And so I was chaplain one time in my hometown for the high school football team, and I had to kind of learn it because at the end of every game, uh, that was a practice they had. We had to stay in the huddle, and, and all the kids were reciting the Lord's Prayer. And it looks bad. The preacher can't recite the Lord's Prayer. But, but anyway, you know, there's a part in there, the King James, where, um, uh, where he talks about protect us from evil. Do y'all remember the verse? Lord, deliver us from evil. It could also be translated, as they are in some of the other translations, Lord, deliver us from the evil one. I mean, why think we're hot shot super Christians and can fight the devil? You know, it's like charging hell with a squirt gun, as someone has said. We need the Lord. And here I thought it was interesting, and I think that it's valuable for us too. He says, Lord, keep me safe. In other words, he asked the Lord 
Protect me from the evil one. Protect me from evildoers. God, I can't do this by myself. Surround me with your protection, Lord. Keep me safe. Uh, listen to Psalm, 18, Psalm 118, verse 7. The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. Good to remember. He said, what, I will never leave you. Nor will I forsake you. The Lord is with you. He will be your helper. The final word here is safety. Look at verse 10. Um, Let the wicked fall into their own nets. While I pass by in safety. Um, Now this is not a verse that means if you're a Christian you'll never have anything dangerous happen to you. I don't think that's what it's saying at all. and Because uh, we've all had dangerous stuff happen. We've had loved ones who've been sick, and we've had loved ones who have died. And some of us have faced sickness, and some of us have had loved ones go through terrible things, and we've hurt. Uh, there's been all kinds of dangerous stuff. So I don't think the text here is trying to say, you know, if you're not wicked... Um, then you're not going to have any dangerous things. Uh, but what it's uh, what it is saying here, I think, is walk with God and don't create your own wickedness. Notice how he says it. He says, "Let the wicked fall into their own nets. Their own nets." How often do we make decisions that leaves God out? That goes against the clear truth of his word. Against the principles that he gives to us. And then we wonder why we're hurt. Well, we stepped out of his safe pastures. We left his safe boundaries. And we fall into our own nets. It's not God that calls the danger. And, and I think that that's the point here. He says, they fell into their own nets. While I pass by in safety. God, there's going to be pain that comes my way. There's going to be hurt that comes my way. But let it not be because I inflicted myself. Let it be because you have a broader plan than I can understand. And I'm just simply walking with you. You know, God, I want to endure it if if it's because it's of you. But don't let it be because of me. I think that's the, the point there. Um. Anyway, as I come to the end of this thing, Jesus will come back. He said so. So these are some principles to hold close until he does. And I close with this verse, Matthew twenty four forty two. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. God, we are grateful that you... Have promised to come back. Come now Lord Jesus. Uh, I certainly have my days God. Where I. I admit I don't look for you like I should. And then I have other days where I say Lord. Come quickly. Father in the meantime. Lord help us Father. To take these principles to heart Lord. To pray fervently have eyes fixed on you to guard our tongues, Lord. Guard our hearts, Lord. Just to look for you, God. 
um, as, as we think about these areas, Father, of your security and your safety and to stay out of those snares. God, we just long for you. And help us in the meantime to walk close, Lord. I love that verse in James that says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. and Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Change your mourning to laughter. I mean, your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Help us, Father, just to get close to you. And let you bring our joy and let you guide our steps and trust you. Father, as we come to the end of this message... Uh, Father, I don't want to say end of the service because we stand and we sing. And, and Holy Spirit, we invite you to just tug on our hearts, Lord. Uh, is there an area that we need to obey you? Is there a place that we need to turn? Uh, Father, well, we've been out of your will. Um, Master, you're coming back. We believe that. But what about now? What do you want us to do? I pray as we stand, we sing, that we'll ask those questions and that we'll obey whatever you reveal to us, Lord. We worship you. That's what this day is all about. It's a day set aside to bring you glory, Lord. I thank you for this group of people who have chosen to come and, Father, to do that. And may it not just happen here. I guess I pray that as we leave, Lord, uh, the worship service would be a, a worship wherever we go. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.